Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. In today's Old Testament reading, the Lord has sent Isaiah to Ahaz, the king of Judah. Ahaz is terrified, and by the way, probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer and a little slow to catch on to things. He's terrified of an impending attack from two neighboring countries. Isaiah is reminding Ahaz that the Lord is with him and says to him in the verses just prior to today's reading, if you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. The sign Isaiah offers to Ahaz here, early in the Old Testament, is a foreshadowing of the words from Matthew used a few moments ago in the Advent Lighting Liturgy. Hear now a reading from Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading this morning comes from the first chapter of Matthew, the other Annunciation story. Listen for a word of God. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, but unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when Joseph had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Some years ago, I spent some sabbatical time in Jerusalem, hoping to get caught up in the stories of our faith at a deeper level. But what I caught there instead, at least at first, was a terrible cold. My head and my chest were a misery to me and I'm sure to the others in my group who had to listen to all the liquid sounds of my slow suffocation. (laughs) I accepted their offers of travel kit, Sudafed, and sipped all the lemon tea they made for me, but nothing helped. Finally, one evening while we were all sitting around in a common room, one member of the group, an Irish nun named Margaret, kindly offered to give my upper back a massage. In her soft-spoken way, she was confident it would help. I was skeptical, to say the least, that mere fingers on the surface could reach the deep inner congestion. But my liquidity was such that it came to seem worth a try for the group's sake, if not for my own. While Margaret worked on my shoulders and neck, we all confessed to each other how overwhelmed we were feeling in the simmering landscape of the Holy Land with stories and anguish and uncertainty dissolved in that landscape in maximum concentration. After a while, as I relaxed and the conversation around me began to blur a bit, There was a moment of silence, just the working of Margaret's fingers. And the next thing she said is something I've never forgotten in a brogue that made everything she said glow, which, alas, I can't attempt here. In fact, I've wondered if maybe the words she spoke were what cured the cold because the congestion was completely gone the next morning. Margaret said... You know, I think when you get down to it, there's really only two emotions, just love and fear. If you think about it, everything else comes somehow from one or the other of them or a combination. The landscape we live in now simmers with stories too, doesn't it? and with the emotional alloys of love and fear that they spin off, anger, pride, grief, resilience. And Advent has urged us to awaken to what's really going on in that landscape, to face the realities of despair and enmity, anxiety and sadness. Remembering that we do not have to face them alone. That's the point of being here together. So we kindle our little flames of hope and peace, joy, and now, this week, love. And it turns out that the stillness, the integrity, the courage of those little lights 
are trying to penetrate down to the place where in the midst of our inner congestion, God meets us, deep calling unto deep. It turns out that with God, it is not impossible to make this journey toward the fulfillment of all our yearning, not impossible that grace will lead us home. Well, the companion for this morning's piece of that journey is Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband, whom we might call the foster father of Jesus, and who is also in some ways an earthly foster father to all of us who find ourselves in deep, trying to weather the clash between deep fear and deep love, trying to figure out how to make the right choices between the way it seems that things just are and the way that God is preparing. Matthew's telling of the birth story begins in an in-between time. Joseph and Mary are betrothed, engaged, which in their culture meant that for a period of perhaps a year or more, they continued to be promised to each other while living separately and chastely in their respective families' houses until the time came for the husband to bring the bride to his own house and they would be fully married at last. Now Matthew doesn't open any window into what must have been a tense conversation between the two of them. We don't know whether Joseph believed Mary's testimony about her pregnancy, whether he did or he didn't, wouldn't have changed the social cost of it to both of them. Though Joseph is sure that no one else will believe her testimony. We are told that Joseph was a righteous man, a keeper of the Torah, the commandments. And we know that the moral code with which Joseph was careful to observe gave him the right in a case of infidelity to end the betrothal. But we're also told that Joseph had enough kindness to want to try to spare Mary the shame that would otherwise engulf her. So he planned, it says, a quiet divorce. But then he slept on it. And in the depths of consciousness found God's own messenger standing at what was really, for both Joseph and Mary, the leading edge of the issue. Fear. Do not be afraid, the angel says in the dream. Do not be afraid. Love wins this one. Now, we should pause to consider briefly the notoriously miraculous aspect of Mary's pregnancy, as Matthew and Luke both report it. There's an arcane little detail in the history of ancient manuscripts, of all things, that plays an important role in one of Christianity's most perplexing convictions. As the Hebrew scriptures of the ancient Near East were translated into the Greek of the Mediterranean basin, 
an oddity of language, a mere synonym, really, almost, caused the Hebrew word for young woman in the verse from Isaiah, which Brent read, which is about, as Brent explained so helpfully, thank you, a political moment in the reign of a disappointing king of Israel, a purely political moment, which caused that Hebrew word for young woman to be rendered in the Greek translation by the Greek word virgin, with connotations with which we are all familiar. But the portentous words of prophets like Isaiah have a long shelf life. Evidently, Matthew grabbed that particular verse from Isaiah in the Greek, look, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, to support what we can assume was the already widely held popular belief that Jesus' mother had conceived him miraculously. This may have offered Matthew a prophetic proof text for his community's convictions about Jesus' miraculous origin. But now that you know all that, it offers us no more of an understanding of what actually happened to Mary, does it? Conception and birth have always seemed to me to hover on the verge of the miraculous anyway. But whether or not the legends that people read backwards from Jesus' mature ministry and execution and transcendence of death, whether any of that has any basis in biology, still the story in Matthew's gospel has come to shape our understanding of these people. The origins of Mary's pregnancy were to them mysterious. And most importantly, the child who came to be born as a result was a person who was both like us all and like no other person. This is the paradox, the mystery in which Joseph found himself pinned. That it brought out kind instincts in him as he considered what to do is surely to his credit. But kindness, the way it's often practiced, doesn't always have the grit to stand up to something like fear, does it? Especially when that fear involves danger to things like social standing or safety that we count on. Joseph is good Advent company for us because he needs an angel's intervention to push him beyond kindness and go deep. He had resolved to dismiss her quietly, to make the trouble that was sure to be stirred up by her testimony go away by putting it out of sight, a solution that might have worked for him but would have done nothing for her. But the angel replies, in effect, do not make of your betrothed a refugee. Do not force her to take her truth and camp alone outside the gates of community with that truth. She knows better than you the meaning of what is going on inside her. She knows better the truth that she contains. 
This situation calls for more than kindness. This situation calls for inhabiting the risk together. And that, of course, is the theological meaning of Christmas in a nutshell. The vernacular translation of the Hebrew name Emmanuel, this situation calls for inhabiting the risk together. Scripture tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Ah, but alas, we love imperfectly, partially, conditionally, brokenly, as Joseph reminds us. And so such love as we can muster casts out fear imperfectly. In order to vanquish the fear in which both of the two of them live, the fear of not being believed, the fear of being shamed or shunned, the fear of the loss of the social essentials that people count on, Joseph's regard for Mary has to go deep. He can't be for her unless he is with her. His dream must have been one of those dreams from which you wake with electric clarity. I wish so much that Scripture gave us a glimpse of the next conversation between the two of them. For reasons we will never know, Joseph vanishes without a trace from history entirely at almost exactly this moment, which for me has the effect of only riveting my curiosity on him that much more. Maybe, maybe he is the angel of our Advent awakening, awakening from his dream. Maybe he is the one we meet when we go deep, the one who urges us now to see things differently by the stillness of those courageous little lights, I hear Joseph saying to Mary as he awakens from his dream, I see you now. I see the integrity that you hold, that you embody. I see the courage that you'll need for this. And I'll give you whatever I have of my own to pool with yours. I see you. And I take you. If you will still take me. It must have been indeed, after all, the moment of their marriage. And then somewhere high above their heads in the deep polished sky of the longest, darkest night, or maybe somewhere deep within them where love finally clears the deep inner congestion of fear. Or maybe somewhere among their people, among us all in the small spaces between our jostling spirits in this landscape simmering with stories and emotions. 
or maybe on whatever promontory of space or time or on the leading edge of beauty on which God pauses to take stock of things. Maybe somewhere God must have been able to say at last in that same moment, ah, and so I take you, all of you. I can't be for you unless I am with you. So with you, I will be. I see that my story is your story now. I see you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Loving God, like the Magi, we bring to the manger our gifts now and in the days ahead. Gold, the morning on the wing, the glow on the faces of children, the moments that brighten our lives. We bring our frankincense, the quiet reassurance of familiar things, the grace of care and friendship, the blessing of bread, and our hearts yearning in prayer. Also to our myrrh, the ashes of our dreams, the bitter taste of our failures, the shadows through which we stumble. Transform these gifts, our morning offering and our joy offering this day that we would bring into praise and service, inadequate but genuine as they may be, and transform our lives to reflect more deeply your justice and joy in the life of the world. Through Christ we say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And let us continue on in a spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Christ, who comes to us as love, as an infant wrapped in love, filled with love, look at us with your eyes of love so that we may see ourselves loving one another and you more completely. For that love that is source and center drawn as we are to it, we yearn to more fully inhabit it to express it completely, to, with authenticity and integrity, love everyone you call into our keeping. Your story guides our way, arriving God, that you did not stop with bringing hope, that you did not end the story with joy, that you did not complete the world with unending peace. All these you wrapped up in love. And no matter how we have fallen short of sustaining them and the world around us, your gifts to us, are real for your peace that enables us to be with others in friendship for your hope that pushes away encroaching despair for joy that empowers us to shake off anxiety and depression and to live fully into the wonder of who you are and what you are doing we open our arms to what you offer for your acceptance of us as we are for helping us know you made us good. Bless you for sending us love in human form, in parents and partners, children and friends. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness when that love has not been expressed eloquently or fully or without judgment or condition. We praise you for the fullness of love in Jesus, love incarnate, our model for how to love. Yet to be loved and not care for the unloved, to live in peace and ignore the shattered lives of others, to celebrate our own enjoyment selfishly, 
those are crushing shortcomings which deny the faith we long to live. Help us to look inside ourselves, to be honest about what we take for granted and the work we have to do. Hear the petitions that appear in our minds and hearts today for those for whom love feels far away, for those living on the margins, for those desperately lonely, those taunted by the fullness of others' lives, for those bullied and betrayed by people who could embrace them, for those consumed by grief and stuck in mourning, for those whose most meaningful relationships are breaking apart, dismantling what they had once dreamed of, in workplaces where colleagues can be nasty, in schools where temptations abound, bring a hope defined by change into lives defined right now by endings or transitions, a fear of the future, danger from violence in their homes and communities. Bring love in whatever form and path is the reassurance of your compassionate presence and your tenacious care of all your people. You are coming. Holy center of this most holy season, all our stars point to your birth. All our wanderings come home to you. All our griefs and delights find a place in the stable where you transform everything. Give us the grace to see ourselves there and be your people, your love for the world. As we say the prayer you gave us to pray, Lord Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.